Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. Oh, and I'm uh, Mark Edward Boy. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. This is going to be... Okay. Um, That's for later. Uh, uh, To take into account was our our guest's sense of humor. Yeah, very funny. Um, I like that. All right. Um, No, how am I doing? I'm... uh, well, I've I've spent the last week catching up on films directed by our uh, subject today, so I'm uh, properly scandalized and offended. Sure. So much, so much ribaldry uh, <laughs> and and uh, and poor taste. It's been a it's been a delight. That's how I'm doing. Um, how are you? I never say that. You always ask how I'm doing. I never say how I'm, are you. Uh, I'm doing okay uh, for the most part. It's I got a. I feel like I probably can't go into a lot of detail, but I got a, a, a new job or rather a job in addition to teaching. Um, so uh, it's very exciting. I'm going to be working as a, uh, we haven't determined what my title will be yet, but it's essentially uh, like um, a curator for a, a streaming service. So very exciting. Yeah, so you're a Renaissance man. That's me. Your regular, uh, I can do all kinds of things when it comes to talking about movies. I was, I was trying to think of, I was going to say you're a regular and like someone who has a lot of different gigs. And for some reason, the first place my mind went was Chris Hardwick who has no gigs now, <laughs> but he, he did used to have a lot of different. That's gigs. true. Yeah. I am going to do I got to update my resume. Yeah. Who is someone that, that wears a lot of hats? I guess. Uh, yeah. Shoot, we don't I feel know. like we there's gotta be, there's gotta be like a, like some kind of reality host or right. something like that i feel like mike rowe wore a lot of hats for a little while okay and not you know okay. hard hats and baseball hats and all that kind of thing okay because he was doing dirty jobs i feel like i see anthony anderson a lot sure absolutely yeah. let's go yeah. with him all right anthony, this been... i'm a regular anthony anderson there you go <laughs> um, let's talk we, we have a guest who's already announced himself we'll get to him later we'll get to our subject our, our topic later uh first though i want to tell everyone about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors uh um they look great they sound great tyler and i use them each every day in fact tyler has some uh at uh, some new ones that is at his yeah. house right now oh. um so if you would like free tweaked earbuds no those are those are what right. i would suggest <laughs> what i would suggest is have a show reach out to tweaked have them be a sponsor for many years yeah and you too can get a free pair of tweaked earbuds but they're already that yeah they already are a great product at a low low price same way um, like, you, you get where i was <laughs> so yeah. yeah you don't need to get you don't need to go through all those hoops today on my tweaked earbuds i was listening to uh the new ep by a band called sadness and their album their new ep is called rain chamber so uh, a very really cheery day. It's been it's gloomy, uh, overcast today. It, I felt like rain yes, chamber one, by so, sadness right? was the the right uh, <laughs> the right way to go. Yes, it's yeah, it's a beautiful weather in, in my in my in my book. Uh, it, it's sadness EP sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. As I said, they're available at a low low pr- low low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tyler? Yes. Listeners, if you've glanced down, you might have forgotten to look at the number of the episode. All of our episodes are numbered, except for the movie journals, which are dated. twice, in fact, if you're wa- if you're looking on uh, iTunes. Yeah, they're numbered twice. Uh, so you hope if you're uh, an iTunes user, you probably didn't miss that this is episode 760. Uh, and if you're a longtime listener, someone who's been listening for at least 20 weeks, you might know that we like to do these profile episodes. And we do them every 10 weeks, every episode that is divisible by 10, unless that episode is also divisible by 50. Those on the 50, you know, 10 weeks ago, we had Josh and Johnny back on, you know, a year before that we had, we had Nick and Jeremy. We, we, we have on those 50 week, uh, things we have big parties. Yeah. Other 10, the 10 week anniversaries, if you will, we do profiles. Do you think we could ever do an episode of just you doing this just <laughs> for the entire, just like one of those Jimmy Pardo kind of just pure crowd work. Yeah. No, when, albums. When, when we profile Andy Kaufman, that's what we'll do. <laughs> um, uh, no, we're, we're, we like to profile someone who has uh, someone who's contributed a lot to cinema and who has passed somewhat recently, not very recently, recently enough that we've had time to do some research. Uh, and in certain cases, uh, we like to have guests on um, to, to, to help us go through the career. So today we're going to be talking about the, the films as a director of Robert Downey Sr. And returning to the show uh is our good friend mark edward hoik mark how are you oh okay <laughs> oh that's that's not good uh yeah i don't know um uh, oh is okay can i speak now yes you, yeah. you can speak now okay yeah. i didn't know if he was doing a bit or not <laughs> no no i uh, know i no, I, I I jumped in the last pregnant pause, and that was a mistake. So I was <laughs> waiting to make make sure I you know wasn't going to be stepping on somebody's line. No, uh, how have you been, Mark? I've been good. Uh, it's uh, it, it's been a very uh, it, it's uh, the the last I'd say year and a half has been uh, a very very uh, different for me I, I, all in a better way okay 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 oh that's good that it's in a better way yeah the last year and a half has been different for yeah. a lot of people um from their normal lives um, but not necessarily think, in a better uh, way. Big, uh, you know the big the big notation is that uh for many for many months uh this year i co-hosted a really fascinating uh podcast with the uh charming and delightful uh b peterson devoted to the uh career and films of uh 30s director dorothy arzner the only uh woman who was working you know directing films in hollywood at that time for about a good 
you know, 20, 20 years when you include the silent era. And we went the bride war red all of her right? films, which was. Yes, that's the only one of hers. I think I've seen actually. Uh, the mo- uh, probably her most uh, famous film uh, is the one that was uh, released by the Criterion Collection, which is uh, Dance Girl Dance. And consequently, our podcast was called Dance Dorothy Dance. There was a stretch when because many of her films aren't available on uh, physical media or streaming, we had to go to the dark web to obtain them. We did a side podcast called Friends of Dorothy, where we looked at (laughs) films uh, scripted by female collaborators of hers. So we found uh, creative ways to get around uh, lack of access, so to speak. Uh, that sounds great. It's called Dance Dorothy Dance. Yes, it's on the okay. Screen Margins uh, podcast network. Uh, we uh, uh, the episodes were taped over the first half of the year, and uh, the finale just uh, got dropped uh, a couple of weeks ago. So every episode is now available to listen to. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I didn't go to the dark web in preparation for this episode. Maybe I should have because Robert Downey senior directed a lot of films that aren't, uh, aren't available, uh, anywhere, um, that I, that I know of, but I did manage to see a total of eight films, which is easy because a lot of them are under an hour hour long. Um, maybe this podcast will be under an hour long uh, as well. Um, in, in true Robert Downey senior fashion. Sure. So I guess let's just, uh, well, I guess first, um, uh, Mark, because you're usually a, a, a font of, of knowledge. Do you have any Robert Downey senior sort of, uh, background or, or insight that you can uh, share with the listeners? Well, I do have uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, semi insider information in that when I was, uh, doing beat the geeks, one of uh, the primary crew people had also been on the primary crew of the gong show and specifically had been working with Chuck Barris when Chuck was collaborating with Robert Downey on the gong show movie. So, and he, uh, between, uh, between episodes, he, told us of uh, a fateful afternoon where uh, he and a couple other uh, gong show people had been uh, dispatched to uh, help uh, Robert Jr. move out of uh, Senior's house and uh, into his mom's. So when he was still a teenager. All right. Um, that sounds like a good story. Um, oh. Yeah, there's a, a we're going to be oh, seeing yeah. uh, if go ahead. If you watch uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, uh, the George Clooney adaptation of uh, Chuck's uh, pseudo-autobiography, there's a scene where Barris is having a breakdown on stage, and there's like this old-looking crew member that's the gentleman who worked with us on Beat the Geeks and the original Gong Show. So, and the... You know, he bears, you know, maybe my memory is faulty, but he bears a little bit of a resemblance to Downey. Mm. So you you could almost, 
you could be forgiven for thinking that that was actually him in the movie. Uh, yeah, he did. I, I, I specified earlier that we're doing, we're, we're profiling Robert Downey Sr. as a director because he did a, a, a lot of acting in, in smaller uh, roles. Um, in he's in Boogie Nights and in Magnolia, which is um, if you, if any if either of you watched any of these movies on the Criterion Channel, um, there's a bunch of uh, like little chats between. Uh, P.T. Anderson and, and Robert Downey Sr. He's clearly uh, the clearly admirers of of one another. But but yeah, we're here to uh, to talk about him as a director. You mentioned Robert Downey Jr. He will come up today, um, sometimes in very small roles, and in at least one case that I'll be talking about uh, a major role in a, in a film. But we're going to go all the way back to nineteen. 19- 64 to start i think unless anyone has seen the short film ball's bluff which i haven't but i've seen no more excuses which we'll get to later which incorporates footage from ball's bluff but we'll get back to that uh babo 73 is the first one that i've uh that i've seen yeah either of you uh, got a chance to watch babo 73 okay uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> me either okay um well this is a um it's a i, I guess it's his first I mean, I don't know if we want to say feature because it's only an hour long, um, but uh, it, it introduces some things, but it also still feels, um, at least for this this early creative period that we're like, really this, it's like 64 to 75 is kind of like the peak of of Robert Downey Sr. And a lot of the these films... Um, I guess there's kind of two different categories you can put them in. There are films that actually as for as, as um, off the cuff um, and improvised as they seem still work as stories. Like they're, they still tell a a story. And then there are films that are a little bit more of a collage and Babo 73, I think is more the former but has a little bit of, of, of the latter because it doesn't really have much of a story, but it is just one thing. And it's about a guy um, played by um, uh, Andy Warhol factory mainstay Taylor Mead, who um, has just been elected president of the United status. Uh, um, and it's basically just an hour of him and his uh, a- a- advisors whose names are like, um, Mr. Kitty Litter. They have all, like, all these like strange names, just like um, plotting his presidency in like long chairs on a beach or at the what they what the narrator calls the White House, but is clearly just like a dilapidated house that happens to be white. But they refer to, the, to it as the White White House. So it has it has one through line of of this guy sort of preparing to be president, um, but it still has that kind of sketch type of feel to it um it, it's it's a bunch of standalone scenes mostly but they do all happen in a certain uh mindful chronology but you've also got um i have to find the guy's name who's in a bunch of um uh his movies uh lawrence wolf is the uh the bald fellow who shows up in a bunch of uh, robert Downey senior movies and and uh in in this movie in like i think the opening scene he plays the prime minister of luxembourg who one of the new president's uh advisors uh shoots and kills in a meeting <laughs> on the beach um but since neither one of you have seen 
Balbo 73. I'll say it, it was neither my favorite, uh, uh, Robert Downey movie that I watched for this, uh, in preparation for this, nor my least favorite, but it, but it definitely sort of announces someone who, uh, in this early stage is, is willing to follow his own rules in terms of how to make a film and how to assemble uh, a, a film and, and what his, his aims are in, in terms of, I, I mentioned before being, I joked about being like scandalized and, and offended. I think a lot of times when people, you know, when people talk about like, uh, uh, oh, ever like when, when people complain about political correctness, I gen- I'm generally not on their side, but I feel like this is the kind of thing they think they're mourning. Like, like, um, uh, or a lot of his films that are that traffic in stereotypes that are intentionally uh, uh, offensive, usually I think with a deeper purpose, uh, uh, but although also not too deep. I think he still wants to be sort of anarchic and fun and funny most of the time. But um, uh, this is the his films are the kind of I guess to put broad quotes around this umbrella, the kind of un PC thing that I can get behind. Oh, okay. For the most part, there will be, there will be one later that I, uh, will not like, but, uh, I wonder if it's the same one that I also did not like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Babo 73 is the first one, but, um, uh, I think I gave a pretty good uh, overview there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next one for me is chafed elbows from 1966. Um, Mark, have you seen chafed elbows? Uh, I have uh, not seen Chafed Elbows. I was able to uh, speak to uh, Amy Eccles, who uh, uh, had uh, an early role in uh, that film, and she spoke highly of uh, working with uh, da- with Downey in that formative time. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think who she played in the film. Cause the- or, excuse me, I'm sorry... I screwed up. It's not chafed elbows. It's no more excuses. Okay. Because one of the things I was going to say about chafed elbows, that's um, uh, there's only one woman in the film. There are lots of female characters, but Elsie Downey, Robert Downey's, um, I guess, wife at the time um, plays every woman in the film. Um, Chafed elbows is on the one hand, not for the faint of heart. On the other hand, I think it's um, a masterpiece. <laughs> um, it is a um, satirical comedy about a psychopath, narrated by a psychopath. Um, and, it, and it takes place, it's uh, it's sort of in two halves. Two halves. The first, and then it's only an hour long, again. So the first half hour of the movie is his November breakdown. And the second half hour of the movie is his January breakdown. These are break, like psychological breakdowns that he has where he does awful things and kills people every, every couple of months. Uh, but the tone of the... Um, the narration in the film, uh, George Morgan, by the way, is the, the actor who plays the lead, um, who played um, uh, trivia here. Hold on. He played uh, Father Mulcahy on the pilot of MASH. Oh. So I guess they recast uh, Mulcahy after that. Um, but anyway, George Morgan, his tone is so... He's just like he's just a a, a, a toast kind of like wimp. He like lives at home with his mom. He seems like a loser. He talks like a loser. He's not that um, uh, um, 
impressive or intimidating. He doesn't cut a striking figure. And yet every woman he meets throws herself at him and he occasionally throws them off of roofs or out of windows. (laughs) Um, and also, uh, he has multiple ongoing incestuous relationships with women in his, in his family. Um, so yeah, the movie is, uh, about some like really uncomfortable stuff like murder and incest and, and stuff like that. Um, but it's like very lighthearted and funny. And I think that's why I kind of called it a masterpiece because, uh, it, it hangs together so well. It's such a, it's such a pure and specific point of view in, in, in making this, this movie that Robert Downey, Downey senior had. Um, it also has, I, I won't be able to talk about most of these movies without talking about some of the stereotypes about like racial stereotypes or often homosexual stereotypes um and uh just crass language there's a there's a part in this movie um and i'm not going to use the language that is used in the movie in any sense um but just to give you an overview the the main character goes to visit his uncle and his uncle is trying to get him uh to invest with him on an amusement park that he's going to build which is an amusement park that's only for white people but the theme of the amusement park is black people like stereotype. Each each, each attraction (laughs) would be a different, like stereotype of black people, but he's selling this, trying to sell this thing to his nephew as look what a great thing I'll be doing for the black community. All of these jobs I'll be creating for people to, and I'm not even going to just watch the movie because I'm not even going to say what some of the stereotypes they're off. Sure. Like to, I'm going to be hiring people to do these, the, these things. Um, that kind of sense of humor, um, is classic, uh, Robert Downey. So I had a, a, a question, uh, mostly for you, David, my, my, uh, limited, um, uh, engagement with, with, uh, Robert Downey senior, I guess just Robert Downey. I don't like saying senior. I know that that's because of Robert Downey Jr. Like people say that, but they didn't say it at the time. So yeah, the, the credits in his movies are directed by Robert Downey or yeah. often directed by Robert Downey, a prince that happens uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it just, I have, I have a, a memory many years ago. It might've been on the air and it might've actually been, um, it might've been the very first podcast that we ever recorded, but didn't actually uh, post anywhere because we were talking about our favorite films of 2006. That's how long we've been doing this, David. Uh, And I seem to recall uh, one of my 10 favorite movies of that year was um, thank you for smoking. And that was, and, and you and I were talking about like the film as a satire. All right. Just real quick. I know this isn't important, but the listeners for Battleship Retention lore, the episode you're talking about never aired. It never aired. Yes, correct. The top 10 of 2006 was, it was a test episode that we did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And we recorded it several times. Uh, so oh, we, okay. we got it all worked out and then we never posted it, um, which is probably for the best for everybody. But um, yes. But yeah. And so, uh, and I remember we were talking about Thank You for Smoking and, and talking about it as a satire. And we both, and, and you know, I like the movie more than you did but I absolutely agreed with you that like as a satire, it's not necessarily toothless, but it's not network. And it sure as hell isn't Dr. Strange love, you know? And so, you know, when I think of, of filmmakers 
and again, I feel like you can, you can attest to this more than I can. When I think of, of filmmakers and film fans who say like, Oh, I really like kind of these underground filmmakers who are like, man, they don't give a shit. Like they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And that, and that might be true. Like obviously the, the bar, uh, raises and lowers sometimes uh dependent as far as like uh, from a cultural standpoint what's acceptable what isn't um but it does you do kind of having watched even just the three movies of his that i've watched you're just like you don't even know you don't even know like this is a guy who does not give a shit and is going to make whatever movie he wants and it's not i mean don't get me wrong and he's not doing it haphazardly either like he's i think he's making movies uh, fairly thoughtfully but he's going to make the film that is inside him and uh and there's if he's going to have this whole if he's going to have your main character uh get involved in in, uh, multiple incestuous relationships, then damn it. That's what he's going to do. Um, (laughs) And there's just something admirable about it. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's his is the kind of comedy that can make somebody uncomfortable. Uh, It made me uncomfortable with both movies I liked. And then the one I did not care for. Um, But yeah, before we move on, the last thing I do want to say about chafed elbows is I want to return to the fact that Elsie Downey plays every role because watching this uh, I was I was struck by like why didn't she have more of a career because she's fantastic this is a showcase for uh, an incredible set of skills that she has that she plays I don't even know how many uh, probably 10 different women over the course of of the movie and and uh, each of them is 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 distinct and interesting and uh, and funny very funny um, she's fantastic I, I don't and we'll see more of her um, in a, in a little bit, but, uh, let's move on to no more excuses, which is the one that Mark's, uh, friend was in. Yes. I, I, I have not seen the film, but again, um, my, in my interview with, uh, Amy, which, uh, you can find, uh, at my blog, uh, the projector has been drinking. Uh, we talked about, you know, her career and she said that, you know, Downey was one of the first people to, you know, really take her seriously and, you know, not just look at her as a pretty face. Um, yeah. Um, so No More Excuses is uh, definitely, of the two types of films I was talking about before, this is definitely the latter type. This is a um, almost collage uh, type film, although it's, it's more of like a... Uh, I guess like a shattered triptych. It's like three short films, but they're cut up so that they're, he cuts through them, uh, you know, you know, cycles through them uh, a lot. And what's interesting about the making of the movie is that only one of the three segments, or I guess one of the three identities of the film was uh, created for like for this movie at the time. The other ones were things that he had, had done. So he, he reconstitutes uh, footage from, I mentioned Ball's Bluff, his first short film, which is tells the story of a um, Confederate soldier who somehow um, gets transported through time into then modern day, uh, mid 60s, New York City. Um, and it's actually like Robert Downey himself dressed up as a Confederate soldier uh, walking. It's kind of like a proto Borat type thing, just like walking around. Um, there's a part where he he happens upon a Yankee stadium. And he and he's a Confederate soldier, so he's like literally hopping mad, and then he like breaks into the stadium <laughs> and like 
Robert Downey actually like he bought a ticket to the game, snuck in, a, like changed into a Confederate uniform, and then walked out on the field like carrying like a rifle and bayonet and a Confederate uniform, and and was like detained. And apparently he said he said in the in that chat with Paul Thomas Anderson on the Criterion Channel, he says that they told him if you'd have gone near Mickey Mantle, we'd have shot you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then. Um, yeah. And then he went back the next day to when the Yankees were out of town to shoot the footage of him being thrown out of the stadium. Uh, but so that, uh, but that's all from ball's bluff. And then there's another thing where someone had contract contracted Robert Downey senior to do, I can't remember if it was for late night television or something to do a, a short documentary on New York city singles bars. So there's just, um, a lot of, uh, interviews about, the interviews footage of people like mingling and interviews with men and women and Robert Downey senior, like Robert Downey, a prince, whatever we're going to call him, just cutting to the chase and asking them questions. Like how often do you get laid going to these single bars, singles bars and stuff. And like, that's funny and stuff. And and he's get, he gets some really candid um, answers out of, out of these people, but he's clearly like um, uh, just in love with the singles bars in the mid sixties, like, the sort of beginning of what would come to be known as the sexual revolution. Um, the idea of, um, women talking openly about like, um, just looking for men to have sex with, you know, the same way that men prowl or whatever women are there going there to be picked up. And he's, he loves, he clearly loves that, that freedom. He also loves, um, uh, that there are gay singles bars uh, as well. Um, even though the movie does include some use of slurs, not by him, but you hear other people uh, uh, say stuff like that. Uh, And that's, uh, I'm going to bring this up now only to address it in a little bit. Um, There's a lot of gay stereotypes in his movies. Um, And they are like cartoonish and offensive often. But I, I feel like for the most part, it's in a way where he's more trying to like, freak out the squares do you know what i mean like i think he's on the side of the gay community for the, <laughs> the most part which is why later we'll get to a film that does feel mean-spirited to me that um that i uh, I'll, I'll i'll address because um there is one robert downey senior film that i hated we'll get to that later yeah he doesn't seem like the type of guy who would be like, ew, gay is gross. Like he just, given everything that we've already said, uh, yeah, he well, he seems like he would be definitely, uh, to use a modern term, uh, an ally. Uh, and but he would in- employ these stereotypes for the same reason that he employs everything else, which is, I don't like to use the term shock value because I think it's more than that, but I do think it's like get people's attention. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, and that's kind of exaggerating things is a is a part of satire. Um, and I guess I also want to like stop here and call out that the three of us on this podcast are white men, straight white men. I think I, I actually don't remember asked. Uh, I'm bisexual. <laughs> okay. Okay. So two of us are straight. Um, uh, and so my, my feeling of what I think like, sure. Uh, he's, he's doing could, you know, I could be 
set straight or corrected or, you know, uh, by, by someone who would be closer to, to, uh, the way these stereotypes are, are, are applied and, and perceived in the, in the, in the culture. So I want to make that clear that, that like, I understand that I could be wrong. This is just my interpretation. Well, and I, and I do think that along those lines, like, we, when it comes right down to it, we can talk about his intentions all day long. And I think we're probably pretty, I feel like we're probably pretty close as far as his intentions, but intention can only go so far. And just because like, just because he has an intention doesn't mean that he carried it out exactly the right way. Um, and certainly uh, with a modern sensibility, I feel like people would be, could, could be justified, even, even cutting him as much slack as possible. I think they could be justified in being a little frustrated with, with his use of stereotypes, not just, not just gay stereotypes, but, but all oh, kinds. Yeah, there'll be a lot more um, yeah. coming up for sure. Um, I don't know, Mark, did you have anything to say on that, that topic of, of whether or not uh, Robert Downey Sr.'s stereotypes yeah, are offensive? I would throw in that, you know, uh, cons- considering the era that Downey likely did consider himself uh, partial to the gay cause and that while employing stereotypes for uh, for uh, uh, cheap jokes, because in a sense at that time, the only kind of visibility that gay people were getting was through campy humor. That you know, that it was you know that it wasn't you know, the most pleasant compromise, but it was you know the idea of okay you you're you're watching Paul Lind on the Hollywood Squares or you're uh, seeing a, you know a, an interior decorator couple in a movie you know it's you know it's not ideal but it's not invisible either so so same mindset that. Uh, Guys who hang around black people for too long think that they can start, you know, using the, those slurs because, well, we're all among friends and fighting for the same cause. And, you know, that that flew once upon a time because people were just sort of looking for any, you know, port in a storm. And now, you know, you've got you've got to do more than that to uh, prove that you're someone who's going to have uh, a marginalized person's back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the last, I, I didn't mention the, 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 the third part of no more excuses. Um, uh, y- you know, um, Robert Downey's movies are often very funny and we've talked so far about the way they're sort of like, I don't know how you say that. Outre? I don't, I don't know how you say that. Mm. Cause I, this is what I read and Outre. don't say. Outre. Yeah. Um, and and sort of uh you know go for broke type of like gonzo funny he could also be very funny in a like sharp writerly way as well and the other um uh the other thing he keeps cutting back to is a long speech by the leader of the society for indecency to naked animals and who this is um someone who belongs to an organization who believes that animals should be given the dignity of clothing. Um, and it's uh, obscene that all of our, our pets and, and, uh, and, and livestock are walking around naked all the time. Um, and, uh, it's very funny. Like it keeps coming back to the thing. The idea is funny, but also like the specific like pamphlets he shows are funny. The, he, he like, they, um, they have an annual March where they sing their like, 
their song. And so he sings the like society for indecent and naked animals song. Um, it's very like, it's very sketch comedy ish, but it's, it's a different kind of funny than the sort of big broad stereotypes and then shock, shock humor and stuff. You were, uh, we were talking about before it's, uh, it's, well, it's quite you know funny the story behind that. You? I, do, I don't, uh, that was a creation of uh, media prankster Alan Abel. Okay. Uh, that every so often he would, uh, you know, come out and create a a sort of fake cause, and you know, with a couple of uh, friends, would be able to command about fifteen minutes of media time before people realized that it was a hoax. Uh, and Abel did, you know, he did things like he uh, hired people to faint during uh, a Donahue taping, um, you know, in a, di- you know, so he, he was kind of, uh, you know, the 70s version of what somebody like uh, the Yes Men uh, are, you know, to, to, po- to, to point out the, uh, the holes in the media by showing how easily it can be manipulated. And that was one of his, uh, his uh, public sketches because later on uh, he, that what the, he was uh, the, the society to clothe animals was featured in a couple more projects. And uh, Buck Henry was a friend of Alan Abel and uh, Buck and Alan did a mock documentary in the seventies called, is there sex after death, which uh, was, you know, more of their kind of uh, half pranksterism, you know, you know, talking to people about uh, th- their sexual hangups, because this was, you know, this was a period where kind of the the risque uh, daco was a popular art form. Uh, you know, Alan Funt had, uh, you know, he had he did an X-rated film called What Do You Say to a Naked Lady, which is basically one long candid camera sketch that you couldn't show on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I didn't I didn't know. That's fantastic. I didn't know any of that. And yeah, Alan Abel is the guy that is doing all the the, mm. the, the stuff. Um, about the society for the indecency to naked animals. Uh, still funny to me. Um, uh, well, so let's move then. Now we get to the big one, probably yeah. the, uh, the one that most people know and have seen of, of his films, 1969's Putney Swope. Now, Tyler, I know you've seen this one and I've been talking way too much. So why don't you take over for a little bit? Well, it has been a while since I've seen it, but frankly, I think I've definitely okay. seen it as well. Okay. Yeah. It's I, okay. Good. Uh, but that's okay because it's a film that um, it's, it was a few years uh, a few years ago that I watched it, I had heard wonderful things about it. Uh, and then I started watching it and I think I was younger and sort of like what I was saying a moment ago. Um, you know, I, I knew what it was about and I thought like, Oh, this is going to be like a, Oh, a fun romp, which it is, but it's almost like when someone says, someone says like, Oh, you like sort of like kitchen sink dramas. You should check out John Cassavetes. Now, Strictly speaking, yes, he can make he makes several like kitchen sink dramas like Woman Under the Influence and Faces and that sort of thing. Uh, And yet you're not prepared (laughs) for that. Uh, And I was not prepared for Putney Swope. I loved it, but I very quickly had to adjust my sensibility because it is done with an absolute like independent film. It is an independent film sensibility. Um, 
and it feels it's extremely raw. It feels just it feels so disorganized. It really it, it is it is as though it takes on the the vibe of its main character and his goals, which is uh, I forget I, I pulled up the the IMDb and I was actually just looking at like memorable quotes. I wanted to see if this one is yeah okay. So I remember him saying I didn't have the exact line, but he says like he says rocking the boat's a drag. You got to sink the boat. And I remember thinking like yeah. That's about right for this movie. I absolutely believe that that is what Robert Downey is trying to do. And just, uh, and I remember being struck by some of his visual choices. Like uh, he shoots it in black and white, but the ads are always in color. Yes. Yes. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And just, and just thinking like, okay, that's, that's an interesting choice. Obviously it's meant to sort of get us to pay attention because black and white is a, is a, stylistic choice especially by at this point although probably could have been uh, logistical as well um but the fact of, of shooting not just any commercials but these commercials in color it just it suggests that maybe like for the first time uh these characters and we the audience are like really being told the truth like the 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 actual truth and we're seeing it like we're, we're living in a very black and white world, but thankfully the truth can be said and then we get a much better perspective on it. And so I thought it was funny. I thought it was uh, very profound when I saw it and I really, I really responded to it. And it is a film that I recommend a lot of people see, but you do need to go in knowing what you're getting. This is not a slick, you know, this is not a slick film, uh, a slick parody or, or, or satire. Um, it really just feels chaotic but like in the best way if you if you embrace it uh yeah i'm glad you mentioned that the 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 ads the commercials are in in color because those are very funny on the run they're little like sketches almost mm. um uh one of the biggest laugh out loud moments for me over the past week of watching all of these movies was the and i can't remember what the ad is 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 for but uh um a woman gets like a pie shoved in her face and then like mm -hmm. has to say the tagline of the thing and then the, the other guy in the commercial turns to the camera and says confidentially i didn't think she was going to get the line out and she goes <laughs> oh fuck off Bert!" <laughs> and then that's how that ends <laughs> And as, and as I'm looking at, uh, again, looking at like memorable quotes, like it's, it's bringing stuff back to me. And, uh, there's the, a conversation between like the uh, narrator about like this, uh, this cereal or something like that. Um, and just talking about all the chemicals in it. And then like the guy just goes, no shit. <laughs> and just the uh, uh the incorporation of profanity is you know at this point i feel like we're all used to it but you can do it just right and it's still hilarious uh we also got uh, i'll get more into the substance of the film in, in a second we've also got uh lawrence wolf shows up again i forgot to mention he's in chafed elbows um he plays a no i can't remember a lawyer or a doctor i can't remember uh, who he is in chafed elbows but the uh that's the bald fellow here in putney swope he's the uh um I think he's supposed to be, um, I'm, I'm not sure who he's supposed to be, but he's like an advisor to the president. Um, the yeah, fake presidents seem to be a big uh, thing in sure. Robert Downey's movies, but they've also got, I think I haven't seen every Robert Downey film, but I think this is the first time he works with Alan Arbus who would show up uh, yes. a couple more times in his, his films. Also a mash connection there. Alan Arbus. He was the, mm -hmm. uh, the psy psychologist whose name I'm forgetting now. On Sydney. Sydney something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I think as, as satire, so the, 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 the premise is that, uh, the head of an ad agency dies in the middle of the meeting. Um, 
uh, again, a very, very funny scene. Um, how many syllables, Mario? Uh, <laughs> over and over again. Anyway, um, uh, and then uh, in voting to... Uh, uh, oh, the rest of the board has to vote to see who, which which executive is going to replace them. And every, almost everyone votes for the only black guy because they're trying to throw their vote away so, so more people will vote for them because they yes. can't vote for themselves. So and nearly everyone ends up voting for this guy, Putney Swope. Uh, so he takes over the the board and, and, and takes over the agency and very quickly renames it the Truth and Soul Agency and has uh, these outlandish ads and has these very strict uh, rules against them not going to, we're not going to do ads for, it's like um, violent toys or cigarettes or like he has a list of things that he's like we're not doing ads uh for those um and so i think the um the superficial read of uh of this movie at least at the beginning i think would uh, maybe how i would have felt that i'd seen when i was a teenager um is that it's about um it's 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 about the uh, uh, underlying like revolutionary possibility of Black America that that they that there's a lot to be said um, that hasn't been said because um, Black Americans have been have been kept down. But um, Robert Downey, I think, is a little more cynical than that because what the movie really is about is that um, uh, even given all of the freedom in the world power corrupts and Putney ends up being just as much a, a, a tool of the, um, the, the powers that be the, the government and the, and the money people um, as his predecessors were. Uh, now, Robert Downey himself said, claimed that the reason Putney um, if I would keep, uh, keep forgetting to mention the um, Arnold Johnson is the actor who played Putney Swope, um, but all of his lines are dubbed by Robert Downey himself. He's yeah. it's like in ADR and Robert Downey has said that he just did that because um, Arnold Johnson couldn't remember his lines, but I kind of took it as the fact, the fact that, that Putney is speaking with the voice of a white man from the beginning is maybe kind of a bit of a foreshadowing that he's going to be, that he's going to sell out, I guess that that's, that's kind of, that was kind of my uh, read on it. Certainly um, uh, there's a, on the criterion um, thing, there's an interview with Wyatt Snack, friend of the show, Wyatt Snack about this movie. And and, um, he talks about, sorry to bother you when, which, when, which multiple characters, played by black actors have like switch into their white voice and are ADR'd by like David Cross and Patton Oswalt and, yeah. you know, very, I guess, very white sounding men, uh, yeah. I, I guess. Um, and that sort of connection, we think like, Oh, Robert Downey is maybe saying something about what is, um, what kind of voice Putney is speaking with, not, not just literally, but, uh, metaphorically, uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on Putney Swope or any of the bullshit that I just said? <laughs> Uh, I think that's a, a very salient point. Um, I, w- you know, I was definitely thinking about uh, Sorry to Bother You. I, I was also thinking back to uh, some of the things uh, you were saying about uh, one of the earlier shorts and specifically about uh, Brian De Palma's High Mom, which has uh, that whole uh, sequence where uh, 
you know, affluent white people go, you know, to this happening downtown where, you know, black actors actively, you know, berate them and, you know, beat them and, you know, treat them in the same oppressive manner that they've been uh, treated for so long. And, you know, that it, that it becomes this kind of hip uh, art installation. And, you know, they, you know, and the white people come out raving about how horribly that they were treated. And so that, so it was, so it's, you know, the, the topic of, uh, you know, race relations and class were, you know, just fervent in that period. And, you know, the, you know, and those, and the comedy you're seeing in there is still, kind of potent because in a sense everybody was going going for broke because you know the reins were off and also um i just recently saw the uh really interesting documentary searching for mr rugoff which is about uh nat rugoff who uh had founded cinema five distributing which was the company that initially released Putney Swope along with uh, Greaser's Palace later on. And Cinema 5 were a groundbreaking uh, company. And Rugoff had owned theaters in New York in addition to uh, this distributing company. And he, you know, before, you know, all of the other uh, people in the 90s that figured out how to make art movies as eventful as mainstream movies that he, yeah, it was Rugoff who came up with the idea of you know the the poster with uh, the middle finger, you know the girl standing in for the middle finger, mm-hmm. and just you know Putney Swope, the Truth and Soul movie, and how that image became ubiquitous and controversial, and how certain papers wouldn't run it, and you know, that there so there were you know a lot of that. You know, Putney Swope uh, captures you know, all of the anarchic sentiments of the period. And as you point out, uh, Downey's uh, foreshadowing that it's all going to get co-opted soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I, in, in mentioning uh, repeated cast members, I forgot to mention uh, Antonio Fargus shows up in this movie who will show up in, in more uh, Robert Downey movies uh, to come. But he's... Um, I forget his character's name in Putney Swell, but he's uh, certainly one of the more memorable characters. He's the guy who has like the, um, I don't know what you call the Arab like headdress thing uh, on his head. Mm-hmm. The, the entire, entire movie uh, of the character is called the Arab. So that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, tragically, I, there's no way to see pound, which I, uh, I'm so upset about. It's because the one I really, I really wanted to, wanted to yeah. see. Mark, yeah. have you ever seen pound? I have actually seen pound. Yes. I'm so glad. <laughs> I was, I was able to. Uh, there was a very rare screening uh, at the Cine Family about a decade or so ago. Uh, it was, I think they had gotten a uh, like an HD cam tape from Downey himself to to screen it with because uh, you know, there was a, a question of uh, who owned the rights to it and what and they couldn't get a thirty five print. And Pound to me is an interesting experiment because I feel like it's Downey talking about, you know, cause almost all the characters in the movie are, you know, people in one way or another, 
you know, on the fringes, you know, either by either by their class or their race or orientation or just the fact that, you know, they're not the beautiful people. And you know, that he's you know, that, you know, it's you know, one big extended metaphor for saying, you know, anybody who, you know, isn't you know, living the American dream, we basically treat them like dogs. And, oh, there's just this beauty and there's a beautifully uh, blackly comic scene where, uh, you know, little Robert Jr. is brought in and, you know, all the other characters know that because uh, I don't think it all it doesn't happen to all the characters. But the implication is that, you know, these dogs are going to be put to sleep. So when yeah, we haven't so said that all the people are all the actors are playing dogs. Yes. Yeah. I just want to make that clear to the people who don't know yes. all the actors are playing dogs, but they look like people. Yeah. Yeah, they've all got they've all got human attributes, but yes, they are all you know literally playing dogs. Yeah, yeah Robert Downey Jr. plays puppy apparently. Uh, yeah. Oh. Mm hmm. Looking at uh, photos yeah, it's, uh, uh, on IMDb, it's yeah. trying to it does try to recapture some of the transgressiveness of Putney Swope uh, in you know. Because obviously, since they're playing dogs in a few mo in a few sections of the movie, you know they engage in what dogs do, which is the reason why it got an X rating. And uh, when United Artists initially put it out, this was one of the movies where you know the Trans America byline was not included on the print or the advertising because they wanted to distance themselves from it. Uh, it's also got it's also got some really good music in it too, like you know, very kind of good early seventies funk, and you know, you know, it remind reminds me of uh, you know some of the cues that were in Putney Swope, like you know the one that's playing with uh, you know the naked stewardesses uh, bouncing up and down inside <laughs> the airline. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of good music in, in, in his movies. I forgot to mention that Chafed Elbows has like essentially like a music video in the middle of it, um, uh, of all things. But yeah, he clearly had very good taste in, in music. Uh, Mark, anything else about Pound yeah, that, since, I, since uh, I'm so jealous that you've seen it? Uh, well, um, let's see. Well, aside from Neener Neener, um, uh, <laughs> I would say it's... I don't think... It's on a par with Potney Swope because, again, since it is an extended metaphor, it you know it's you know it's operating in the same way that uh, Bruce J. Friedman's uh, Steam Bath operates. So it, it's a little it's a little on the nose, and it's you know that you've you you're you have to accept the central conceit up front. And, you know, some people may get tired of it. You know, they're going to say, okay, we get the point, you know, so whether you want to spend a full feature length, uh, you know, experiencing this is going to be, uh, I, I don't know, you're not going to find as many people ready to go in that direction as, you know, there were for Putney Swope, but I do think it's worth tracking down as, you know, a capsule of the era. Uh, well, let's move on to Greaser's Palace, which is the first 
Robert Downey film that I ever saw. Um, and the long, it's been the longest since I've seen it. So I, um, my memory is not, uh, super clear, but, um, uh, you've got, uh, Alan Arbus now, uh, promoted to, to lead, uh, as the, um, Jesus figure. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, uh, Christ analogy that takes place in the old West, except Jesus appears to be from like, 1920s harlem i guess yeah um the jesus character uh uh who who falls who who drops literally falls out of the sky into this uh town and then uh goes about brushing up against other people's lives and then is crucified <laughs> yeah i uh i saw this film again all like yourself many years ago um i think i had seen it gosh uh if I wasn't a teenager, I was just out of that. Like, I, I think I had seen it on PBS or something like that. And uh, it caught my attention. Um, and thankfully, I, it was only like two minutes in. But I it just it was I think I think it was the character, the Jesus character uh, dressed the way he was. And I, I was just like, the hell is this? This is interesting. Um, and I watched it all the way through because it was definitely intriguing. And as a. uh and it took like, as always, like it took me a while to get into the rhythms of it. Uh, I didn't know who Robert Downey was at the time. Uh, and so what it just, what struck me was this figure in the midst of, you know, the old West. And it took me longer than I am proud of to realize that it was a Christ analogy. Um, but I, I'm willing to put that down to me being young. Yeah, yeah, uh, but then, but then once I realized it was, you know, obviously there's a zaniness to the film. Uh, while I do think there's, I do also think there's a lot of heart to the film. I think uh, specifically in our main character. Uh, but boy, you know, when dealing with Christ analogy, uh, Christ, yeah, Christ analogy, um, you don't expect an actual crucifixion. Uh, and, and so it's like, it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. So now we're being extremely literal. Okay. I got it. Um, but yeah, I remember just really, really liking just the, the irreverent tone while still recognizing the power of this story. And it was something that like, in a way, and this is, this is in retrospect, um, the the nature of jesus is is that he is a disruptor like what whether it be you know pharisees or romans or just whatever people expected uh he said okay well hang on one second what is that expectation rooted in uh and then he found a way around it or to subvert it or whatever you want to say um and in a way it seems almost inevitable that robert downey would want to make his version of that uh, and I'm sure I would not have guessed it would be in a, a Western, but, uh, that also seems appropriate. And it is a film that, uh, that I do remember very fondly. And I feel like I would like to watch again, cause I have no doubt that there are things I would pick up on and things that I would appreciate much more now than I did then. But even then the film won me over and not, and it didn't take a very long time. It was just something I had never seen anything quite like it before, and uh, and I really really loved it. I would say, uh, yeah. And it's clearly um, we, we talked about his films like feeling very um, 
independent and on the fly. And this still is, you know, a, a lower budget compared to most Westerns, but you can see he got some money to make this. It's in the yeah. locations. It's especially in the clothing. Alan Arbus says yes. like, uh, you know, a 1920s Harlem guy looks like he is, uh, he is dressed to the nines. He looks fantastic. Um, another actor, Alan, Alan Arbus is, is so good. I've always loved him and everything he's in. It's always like a, been a puzzle to me that he wasn't like a much bigger, bigger star. He's so, he's so charming. And, uh, dare I say, good looking. Um, uh, you also, uh, again, he doesn't play a puppy, but Robert Downey Jr. does show up in Grisha's palace playing a child. And then very quickly that child's corpse. So yeah. uh, it's very, very Robert Downey to put your own little tyke in a movie and then almost immediately have his throat slit and have him yeah. lay there with like uh blood, fake blood all over his, all over his throat. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the movie has this, uh, kind of, yeah, high, high minded allegory and, and, and metaphors going on. And then also some very crass, uh, yeah. humor greaser, seaweed head greaser is the bad guy. Who's the, who runs the town. Um, uh, it's implied that he's in a, he's especially in a bad mood and especially tyrannical because he's constipated. And so yeah. the entire town, especially his like team of henchmen wait outside the outhouse every time he goes in there to find out whether or not this will finally be the day that he takes shit. <laughs> um, uh, Mark, we haven't talked to you at all. Um, have you seen Grease's palace? Do you have any, any thoughts? Uh, I have regrettably not seen uh Greaser's palace. Uh, it's, I, I am, I've always been uh, rather curious as to whether Downey came up with the idea entirely of his own volition or if he had been looking at the whole spate of uh, allegorical Westerns that were being made at the time. Because, I mean, you talk about, you know, him killing his poor son, you know, not a few years earlier, you had uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky making uh, El Topo with uh, his son and, you know, him walking around naked for the, you know, the first 20 minutes. And it's, you know, it's not a, not quite a Christ allegory, but it's definitely, you know, a, you know, the ascendancy of a spiritual leader. And you also had uh, Zachariah, which was uh, conceived by the fire sign theater as a Western riff on uh, Siddhartha and uh, the, you know, the quest for enlightenment. So, uh, I mean, there, you know, revisionist Westerns were definitely in vogue in the seventies, but, you know, there was even the, the subset of, you know, the Western for the higher purpose. So I, you know, there's part of me that's wondering was Downey trying to jump on that trend or, did he already have the idea and someone thought, oh, well, the, these other, uh, you know, weird Westerns are doing okay. We can take a chance on this one. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, uh, I did. I, I, um, I actually haven't seen either of those movies. I have El Topo. I have the arrow Blu-ray, uh, set the Jodorowsky, mm. uh, Jodorowsky Blu-ray set. So I'm going to be watching El Topo very soon. I also have the, Scorpion releasing uh, Grisha's Palace Blu-ray. Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> if you guys want to borrow I that. Might, I might want to borrow <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's uh, let's move on then from Grisha's Palace to um, 1975's Two Tons of Turquoise to Taos Tonight, uh, which is just... Uh, sorry, did either of you watch this one? 
No. No. Okay. Well, this is um, unadulterated Robert Downey because it's um, a 100% plotless movie. It's a it's a complete stream of consciousness. So there's not there's not much that I could do to just to to just describe it. Um, um, but I'll say, uh, like chafed elbows once again, Elsie Down Elsie Downey plays all of the women in in the movie. I feel bad for all the actresses who didn't get cast in Robert Downey movies <laughs> um, uh, at this time. But Elsie Downey is 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 fantastic. Um, yeah, you've also got Seymour Cassell in in the Ooh. movie playing football in a suit. Um, at one point, uh, it, it's, it's hard to describe anything about this, this movie. Like I said, it's, it's just pure, uh, stream of consciousness. It feels, um, at times it feels like a sketch movie, um, because he could be very funny and some certain elements play as, as sketches, but then, uh, a lot of them are more impressionistic or abstract. Um, there's, um, a lot of, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, is it Allison Downey? Is that the other? Uh, yeah, Allison Downey. Um, yes. There's, yeah, there's a lot of footage of them just like laying around a bed or eating ice cream cones or just being kids. Um, uh, I, I feel like I'm doing the movie a disservice because there's so little to there, there's so little tangible to grasp onto uh, uh, about the movie, but um, it is. Uh, uh, fully just his his muse unleashed and and it's probably my favorite um oh wow um robert downey senior movie but weirdly it's kind of also the end of his period of great work and great creativity this is the last i think this is the last really good movie we'll we'll talk about mm. here um too bad. but uh yeah it's uh but that one's on the on the criterion channel too so definitely check that out and then we jump five years oh no we can't jump oh no no sorry yes 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 sorry it is five years i was looking at the wrong years here yes five years five years from his best film to his worst boy oh boy up the academy mark have you seen up the academy I saw it opening night. Uh, <laughs> uh, like I was, my parents had been divorced for about uh, a year or two. And, you know, my dad was the guy who was more permissive about stuff. And I had seen maybe only one or two R rated movies. And those were like, you know, weeks, if not years after the fact. So, like, this was the first. R-rated movie I got to go to on opening night with him and the the woman he was dating and her kids. So I was I was very excited that I was going to be seeing stuff that I wasn't supposed to see. And the fact that it was presented by Mad Magazine was icing on the cake. So did you like it? um, well, I was <laughs> 10 years old, so yeah, ten, my ten taste was not to be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just... But this is the this is the one I was talking about uh, earlier uh, where... I have uh, not... I have... No, please go ahead. Uh, I, I uh, remember... I have not revisited the movie in, as a whole ever since then. Uh, but, you know, I've seen uh, some isolated one, uh, scenes pop up on cable again, and there, there's still a few uh, fourth wall breaking moments that I'm mildly amused by, but you know, I, you know, I can, 
I can recognize that, you know, this is, you know, Downey trying to do uh, quote unquote one for them and, uh, and just kind of, you know, tanking it. Yeah. It's um, for people who don't know, it's a, I guess a teenaged animal house. It's about a, boarding school or at least that, that's its uh, ambition so it's yeah. like a um, like a military school yes yeah, a military school where a bunch of kids from various ethnic backgrounds um who are bad kids get sent to the school and this is the one i was talking about earlier where it feels like the stereotypes are employed in ways that feel mean that feel punching down that uh, you know there's a there's a black kid there's the arab kid right um but more like uh, to go to what we were talking about earlier in gay stereotypes there's there's um one yeah, of the Tom, officers Tom Poston shows Tom up Poston from new heart yeah. um shows up and he's playing like he's supposed to be like the predatory gay guy that he's like uh he's always hanging around because there's these young boys around and he's trying to like get them to you know see them in the shower get them to take off their underwear like it's just like uh it's 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 gross and unfunny and yeah. it doesn't seem to be used with any of that um uh that that motivation that uh subversive motivation um of the earlier stuff it just feels mean yeah, this this film, I mean, it's just so I mean, it's like, all right, National Lampoon had their uh, slobs versus snob thing. Now, Mad Magazine's going to have its thing. And th- there are aspects to it that I think are not bad in a different film. Ron Liebman's uh, performance is is I mean, it's a good performance i just wish that there was more to the character except for just like the the ridiculous over the top quality he's, he's the just, headmaster or whatever yeah 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 and like and he's there's actually a couple moments i like chuckled solely because of what he did hmm. uh as an actor but for the most part um one of my big takeaways was like you look at this it's it's like when you see uh any kind of like if you watch you know princess bride and you see fred savage and you're like oh that kid has charisma. That kid is absolutely going to like carry something. You see Ralph Macchio in this and you're just like, okay, like it, no, no offense to the other kids. They're, they're all perfectly fine. But like he just, there's just something about the way he carries himself and you're like, oh, oh, I can absolutely see why he's the one we, that anybody knows from this movie uh, because he definitely uh, is, is, I wouldn't necessarily say magnetic about anything in this film, but he definitely captures your attention yeah. um and he's the italian kid who talks like a mobster because everyone, everyone is a stereotype in this movie <laughs> yeah um but yeah and so uh and it just it, it there are a couple of like on one hand it, it's like yes if you're going to make uh an animal house type movie on paper it makes a certain kind of sense to get robert downey uh, because he, there is a madcap quality to his films, but at the same time, uh, you also are just hemming him in and you can just feel there are little moments, little, uh, little touches here and there where you can, you can feel him like pushing and really trying to, uh, make this into something more, but for the most part, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. just a swing and a miss. Like it's. I had I had uh, big plans, David, for how many uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Robert Downey, pardon me, uh, uh, films I was going to watch. I wound up watching uh, this is like the one new one that I had seen uh, because 
I was curious. I was curious to see how his style would fit into this and uh, not great, unfortunately, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, it definitely is one of those going back to what uh, Mark said, like it really does feel like a one for them situation. And he, he has no writing credit on, on the movie, which is not, which is uh, rare for him. Um, Yeah. uh, Now I've got, and also uh, Ron Weedman took his name off the movie and then, you know, mad soon followed, although it's been restored since. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, Yeah. uh, When, when the movie played on cable, all of the references to mad magazine were removed, you know, like they, you know, they were just so upset at, you know, how poorly the movie had come off. And I think, you know, now if you get it on DVD or watch it streaming, it's, it's all been reinstated, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did a pair, they did their own parody of the movie movie you know uh throw up <laughs> the academy where uh you know the 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 poster has a big uh, statue of uh alfred e newman as uh, the school's uh founder and they drew it with uh you know the statue pointing a gun to his head and crying and with the caption what me sorry <laughs> uh, i i have I, I do still have my soundtrack lp though <laughs> No, <laughs> you know, there's there's some cool there's, tunes on it. Yeah, there, again, that a lot of good true. music. Uh, yeah. I, I would, I, I, I would, I would also, uh, I would observe uh, this. You know, again, kind of getting in the whole theme of transgressive '70s comedy. I last night I watched uh, this new documentary on Del Close, uh, who was uh, one mm-hmm. of the founders of the Second City and had invented a the 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 long form improv exercise that's called the herald and it was talking about you know what an erratic personality he was and you know how he was always trying to you know much like uh that line uh from uh putney swope his motto was there's a light inside of you burn it out um (laughs) And you know, how he was, you know, trying to always ride the ragged edge of disaster with, uh, you know, his improv uh, ideas and just, you know, his ideas about co- comedy in general and what is funny. And, you know, that that there's that that you mentioned that uh, up the Academy is kind you know, it's it's clearly. Yeah, it's copying Animal House because everybody wanted an Animal House clone and that. It would seem correct because Downey paved the way for people, you know, like the writers at National Lampoon, many of whom were also second city people that, you know, that launched Saturday Night Live and uh, and uh, SCTV and such. And yet, much like, you know, both Del Close and Robert Downey, especially in their later years, what we begin to see is that the parade has kind of passed them by, you know, that they started this, but all of the people who have studied them have become way more successful than they have, that they've yeah. never really been able to claim, you know, their, you know, I mean, they, you know, they've got their stamp on history, but you know, they don't have the paychecks, you know, <laughs> that, you know, Del, Cl- you know, Del Close revolutionized improv. But if you look him up on the IMDB, you see a, a bunch of cameos, yeah. Yeah. 
effective yeah. cameos oh, like yeah. the untouchables and the blob but uh oh, yeah and, and ferris bueller <laughs> that's right yes it's, it's it's very amusing that I highly recommend uh, this documentary. It's it, uh, it's called uh, for mad men only. Uh, it, it was released uh, very briefly this summer, but it's streaming now and it's on Blu-ray and uh, somebody in the movie is talk, you know, they're criticizing Ferris Bueller because they're saying that uh, in the eighties, it was the notion of, you know, the, the one man army, you know, that you know, one guy can change everything, be it Ferris Bueller or commando or Rambo. And that Del Close's motto was, you know, having four or five or even 20 people in a scene can really, you know, you know, change something and make a difference. So it was the idea of the me versus the we, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, of course, you know, they're slagging a movie that helped Dell pay his rent for a few years. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's a bit of a willful misreading of the movie because it's because I, I don't think Ferris is the one man wrecking crew that, you know, the the criticizer was making him out to be. But that's a discussion for another time. So, yeah, this is the tur- you know, up the Academy is the turning point where. You know, we're seeing uh, Robert Downey become uh, a former great. <laughs> well, uh, he apparently did three episodes of the Twilight, the 80s Twilight Zone. I, I didn't see, see any of those. Um, I have seen uh, one of them. Uh, I, 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 I probably saw them all, but the one that I remember most well is uh, one, uh, a spin on the Tooth Fairy myth which uh, was a, was pretty entertaining that he was, he was a, he was a good fit for that eighties revival of twilight zone. I I think Mm. that if that in small quantities, he probably would have thrived because, you know, he'd have, because there's big, he clearly has big ideas, but in his later years, he can't, you know, make them sustain a feature length movie. Um, now the, the next two on the list I haven't seen, but they are both, uh, uh, I guess not undeterred by the failure of Mad Magazine, more collaborations with comedians, but this time actual comedians, um, yeah. uh, America is a collaboration with Richard Belzer and Rented Lips is a collaboration with Martin Mole. I haven't seen either one. Mark, have you seen either America or Rented Lips? I have, uh. Never seen America, but I am very familiar with it because um, before the whole uh, Zach Norman as Sammy and Chief Zabu uh, shtick was going uh, for, for about two and a half years, Zach Norman took out an ad in Weekly Variety saying uh, Zach Norman as Terrence Hackney in Robert Downey's Moonbeam, which was the original <laughs> uh, shooting title of the movie. So, um, yeah. so that, so that image, so that image is kind of burned in my brain. That you, that you want, one of the minor cast was self-promoting the movie for two years and it still, you know, never really, you know, it did to the best of my knowledge, it did not get a theatrical release. I think it went straight to VHS under the, the retitling of America. Oh, okay. Uh, and then rented lips is with, uh, 
uh, Martin Mull, who, um, you know, I had figured out some sort of connection, but now I can't. Um, um, okay. When I was looking at um, other things that Elsie uh, Downey had done, uh, she did a bunch of episodes of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which has like a connection to Fernwood, which is Merton Mull. I don't know if that's uh, probably oh, just okay, a coincidence, yeah. but um... uh, well, I, I think I think it's a logical trajectory that um, on on uh, on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Martin Mull was this evil character named Garth Gimble, who you know was you know mistreating his wife and was killed by an aluminum Christmas tree, and uh, went they but. Uh, the producers liked aspects of his character enough that they created uh, a brother, Barth Gimble, who became the host of Fernwood tonight. Okay. And, and also, uh, I don't think he appears in the movie, but you know, the longtime companion to uh, Barth Gimble is uh, Jerry Hubbard played by Fred Willard. And uh, Fred Willard had uh, started off in uh, Ace trucking company, with uh let's um uh george mamoli and uh, a couple of uh other uh you know comedians uh, that you know they you know, people don't remember ace trucking company uh they but they were you know they were involved in uh, the making of tunnel vision and uh there's a uh, there's no really good release of it because it's quasi PD. So everybody's just made cheap uh, dupes of it, but there's a great sort of cultural documentary called uh, dynamite chicken, which is most famous because it has some early Richard Pryor performance material in it. But uh, it has a, uh, an ACE trucking company sketch, which is like, you know, every actor's worst nightmare. You know, there's a producer, you know, looking for, people for a part and this desperate guy bursts in with a gun and says, I'm sorry, I didn't want it to come to this, but my ha children haven't eaten in months. I've got to get this part. <laughs> and the producer says, oh my God, you're amazing. Here, here's a script. Uh, give me a cold reading. Uh, oh my God, I didn't want it to come to this, but my kids are starving. And... <laughs> Uh, so well, I think in some fashion, uh, Downey was probably adjacent to yeah. the, that whole kind of, you know, Fernwood tonight uh, talent pool. And, you know, was a, a, it, again, on paper, seems like a natural choice to work with them. Um, but, sounds uh, like a, I, I have seen Lented Lips and okay. it's not good. Okay. Oh, that's too bad. Um, that thing I was just, just looking at it like a clear influence on the Mr. Show sketch uh, where David Cross is the actor auditioning and he asks whether or not he can use the chair, but like that's him asking if he can use the chair is actually part of the monologue that he's prepared and they keep, <laughs> they keep interrupting him to anyway, to say, yes, you can use it. Anyway, that's uh, hmm. sorry. You had something actually interesting to say about rented lips, uh, Tyler. Oh, I wouldn't say necessarily interesting, uh, but uh, but well, looking it over, I see like the uh, it has a really good cast. It's got, I mean, obviously Martin Mull, who I always enjoy, Jennifer Tilly and uh, Kenneth Mars and Shelley Berman. Like, it's got a really good cast. It's unfortunate that it's uh, not that good. Oh yeah. Uh, now I saw it uh, around uh, 
like in my college years. And so again, I, you know, I don't fully trust my judgment because, you know, maybe I wasn't quite, you know, I hadn't seen Putney Swope yet. So I, 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 so Robert Downey kind of existed as an abstract concept to me rather than, you know, okay, I know what this guy is capable of. But even watching Rented Lips back then, you know, can, it, it's on paper, it sounds terrific. Okay, you got all these funny people and it's a satire about making porn by Robert Downey Jr. That should be a slam dunk. And it just feels so you know, conventional and obvious and, you know, that, you know, I'm waiting for the real transgression to start and, you know, I'm getting, you know, a slightly three tiers above Bob Hope material in this movie. <laughs> uh, well, let's move on to 1990s Too Much Sun, which, um, has I guess uh, Robert Downey Jr. has an actual role in Wretched Lips, but he had, definitely has a big role in in Too Much Sun. Um, so this is the only one I only one of Robert Downey Sr.'s films that I've seen in which Robert Robert Downey Jr. is actually a major presence in the movie. And this this one in watching these movies this last week, this one felt like a huge outlier because I watched that that first decade of of productivity of you know of, of him being so prolific um those are all like new york movies and too much sun is very much an la movie um uh we get we're, we're definitely way back into over the top gay stereotypes uh uh here uh again i think with the uh, heart in the right place this time though but the story of the movie is that there's a uh a, a very wealthy old man who um, finds out that both his son, played by Eric Idle, and his daughter, played by the great Andrea Martin, are both gay. Um, and uh, he has a heart attack and dies, or rather he has a heart attack, and then his his uh, priest, after revising the guy's will so that he gave all his money to the church, sort of pushes him over the edge into death. You know, he, 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 he guides him along the, the path. This is, yeah, this is definitely not a uh, pro Catholic church movie, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but there's a, uh, basically there's a caveat that um, if either of the children um, can produce an heir, um, in the next however much time a year or whatever, then they will get a percentage of the fortune. So, um, the, the, um, the, the, the madcap nature of it is set off by basically these people figuring out how to, uh, who they're going to procreate with or finding out if maybe possibly they already have a, <laughs> have a kid out there, uh, out there somewhere. Um, and that's where, uh, Ralph Macchio and Robert Downey Jr. come in as um, sort of uh, low-level real estate hucksters trying to sell people parcels of land in um, post-Soviet uh, <laughs> Russia, um, working out of a trailer park. Uh, Ralph Macchio is fantastic in this movie, mm. by the way, um, as a total scumbag. Because uh, it's funny that he looks so young, even though he is... Ralph Macchio is four years older than Robert Downey Jr. Oh, wow. um, 
uh, yeah, um, but they're they're partners here. But Ralph Macchio is clearly the brains of the operation, which is not saying a lot. But Robert Downey Jr.'s character is just especially dim. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a you Tyler used the word madcap and I just used it again. Uh, it, that's definitely how I would describe it. It goes back to that, like the, the, the term I used very early on in the episode, uh, on PC. It definitely is. Um, it, 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 it is meant to sort of, uh, raise hackles with, uh, um, uh, with, with some of its, its dialogue, uh, Eric Idle's boyfriend, um, played by, uh, where is he? Uh, Leo Rossi or Rossi um, is like mad that Eric Idle is going to go try and have sex with a woman um, to, to have a kid. Uh, and he's like, um, uh, it's like, okay, you can go, but before you go, you have to give me two kisses, one on each ball. <laughs> uh, it's like weirdly like, cause he's like angry while he's saying it. It's like funny and also weirdly cute and sweet at the same time. Um, but also probably meant to, as I used the term free phrase earlier, freak out the squares uh, sure. uh, uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also Easily. got, uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, there's, um, I mentioned Elsa, Down- Elsie Downey, uh, in a couple of movies before this movie is, is co-written with Laura Ernst, his second wife, Robert Downey's second wife. And she plays a, uh, a call girl in, 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 in the movie as well. Um, you've also got, a uh, James Hong shows up as a, nice. a, a drunken mess who Andrea Martin thinks she may have. Yeah. This movie gets, uh, <laughs> dicey. She may have had, he may have statutorily raped her when she was a kid and she might have a living son because of that. So yeah, oh, that type boy. of comedy. That's the type of comedy <laughs> we're talking about rough. here. Um, but uh, that's the type of movie we're we're talking about. But I, it's not anywhere near on par um, with with the early work. But I weirdly I, I found that I still found the germ of that like anarchy in 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 there and that that um, uh, uh, the provocateur impulses. Um, Again, uh, Alan Arbus shows up again as the, um, he's the chauffeur of the rich man and, uh, Heidi Swedberg, Susan yeah. from Seinfeld is a horny nun in this movie. Nice. She's a, a nun who clearly, clearly wants to get it on with the priest. Um, they have a lot of conversations very, very like with their lips, <laughs> just like an inch and a half, like an inch apart from each other. It's uh it's very steamy, um, but in a fake funny way, uh, so Mark, you said you hadn't seen too much sun. Um, I, I have not. Um, I'm, I've heard mixed things about the movie. Uh, I'm enthused. I'm encouraged at the fact that, uh, you know, you're saying that it mostly works rather than, not. um, you know, that, you know, the, the way you're describing it, it, you know, I feel like at this point in his career, uh, Downey is uh, kind of like uh, Carrie Fisher's character in that episode of Thirty Rock, where he's you know still tr- still trying to uh, pitch really horrifying stuff, and it's just not gonna it's not gonna go over anymore. And because yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, people watch that episode and they think, you know, who who is who is Carrie Fisher mocking in that episode? And I think it, there's any number of 
people who could be that antecedent. I mean, I don't think Tina Fey will ever say who it's modeled on. But uh, if if you were to ask me, I would say it's probably an amalgam of Michael O'Donohue and Nancy Dowd. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I uh, that incidentally, that episode features one of my favorite 30 Rock quotes, which is when uh, Baldwin says, never go with a hippie to a second location, uh, which yeah. I always I always enjoyed. But uh, but yeah, it's it is. I mean, it, it I guess it, it, you can't really like mourn uh, Robert Downey's like career. Like he, he worked consistently as a director and he might not have been able to do what he had done when he was younger, but that is not an uncommon uh, occurrence. And, you know, he got to work with his family uh, a lot, which is uh, probably a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh, although, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that. Uh, did either of you see Hugo? So- Pool? No, I have never seen Hugo Pool, but I will okay. tell you, um, back in 1997 when this came out, that's when I first became a subscriber to Entertainment Weekly. Oh, all right. And so Hugo Pool is the first movie I ever remember Entertainment Weekly giving an F. Oh, all right. <laughs> it always, I, it like really stood out in my mind. Uh, uh, it's, it stuck with me that Entertainment Weekly gave this movie an F because I was like, oh, I didn't realize they gave out Fs. Which leads me to this question. Now, the three of us were all movie people, and I think it's safe to say that uh, Robert Downey uh, did not ex- did not expect his films to get any kind of mainstream success. But even his best movie, let's let's go with Putney Swope. I feel like it's OK, David, I know that you you're a defender of Entertainment Weekly uh, more than I am. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like Entertainment Weekly would give any of his movies uh, a positive review? Uh, no, I've never, I mean, with all apologies to um, Owen Gleiberman and Lisa Schwartzbaum, and yeah. neither of whom write for them. <laughs> I still subscribe, but I couldn't tell you who the current like movie, uh, Chris, Chris Nashawati, maybe. Um, oh, yeah. With all apologies to them. No, I, that's never been uh, their, their, their speed. I think, um, oddly, I think Entertainment Weekly has always been way more on the ball when it comes to television than, mm. than movies. Um, but, uh, that's all I have to say about that. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I do want to see who Hugo Pool. I wish it were streaming somewhere because I do like the idea of this, like um, too much sun and Hugo Pool, like Robert Downey Sr.'s Los Angeles period, you yeah. know, after making movies in New York uh, at the beginning of his, his career, I'd, I would like to see another Los Angeles movie. I think, I think technically even rented lips would uh, qual- okay. qualify as uh, an LA uh, installment of uh, uh, Downey's career. I think it's I don't know if there's any meat on this, but uh, something that I find personally interesting is that uh, after Up the Academy, which is his only film for a major studio. um, And then, you know, he he tries to go back to a completely independent model with uh, Moonbeam and you know, the fact that it takes two or three years after its completion to finally get released and go straight to VHS, it kind of signifies to him that, you know, he can't really do the completely independent route anymore like he did in the 70s. And, you know, now he's, you know, he's got a teenage, he's got two teenage children and an ex-wife and alimony and such, and that that uh, he's probably getting into this 
because if you notice all the films that are after it, you know, they're all like mid budget fare from small outfits trying to mm. become bigger. That Rented Lips was done by uh, uh, the Vista organization, which was a short lived uh, production company that was started in the wake of Fright Night. You know, the fright, you okay. know, the producers of Fright Night, you know, it was such a big, big hit that they decided, oh, you know, we, you know, we should go on our own because, you know, uh, you know uh, Columbia released the first one, TriStar. And and so they you know put together this but slate of mid budget movies like Made to Order and Three for the Road and, you know, a sequel to Fright Night. And, you know, they all tanked pretty quickly and the company went under. So. But you've got that. Um, uh, Too much sun is Cinetel. Uh, Hugo Pool, I think, was. I mean, it was a consortium of investors. But I remember it came out on VHS from uh, BMG, which was the last incarnation of uh, the RCA Records label before hmm. they got absorbed by Sony Music. So, it, so it, you have this situation where Downey has. A, a cachet as a name, as a respected director, and you have all of these small outfits that want you know, attention, and are like, "Oh, we can get a name director for little money," and you know, it's like, "Okay, I can make just enough from this, along with my cameo in uh, to live and die in L.A. that I can keep uh, you know Elsie off my back for a few months." Yeah, so it. So it, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm glad that you know he was able to work and you know explore some ideas, but it does feel like you know when Quentin talks about you know retiring after ten movies, I think Robert Downey is probably one of the people he's thinking of when he comes up with that concept because you know Downey you know is you know trying to relive his glory days, but at the same time he knows he has to make it palatable to you know, the, the video renter, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of less discerning individual that was not inclined to rent Putney Swope, even though he is still cashing in on his Putney Swope reputation to draw money and, you know, potential viewers, because obviously, you know, they're going to promote and say, Hey, the new film from Rob, you know, from the legendary Robert Downey. And, that it's so we have it's kind of this you know uh you know use that we're using each other situation you know that you know he 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 needs the work and these uh small outfits need the prestige um yeah i think uh that's a great um way to uh sadly wrap up his his career which seems to have um I guess kind of petered out, but he, um, most directors don't make a Putney Swope. So, uh, uh, he, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did this. I'm glad I, I'm glad I spent the last week watching, uh, Robert Denny senior films. Um, everything else I watch is going to feel tame. Uh, yeah. sure. <laughs> that's actually not true. Cause last night I saw the, new movie bad luck banging or loony porn which is where uh, i felt weirdly prepared for bad luck banging after watching a robert denny senior movies for a week but um yeah the last thing on his imdb we haven't talked about is apparently a documentary about a public park called it's called rittenhouse square i don't know 
Um, yeah. I have no idea how to find that uh, um, or, or uh, if anyone's heard of it or seen it. But um, I think we can wrap this up. Um, Mark, thank you so much for this. Oh, thank you. It's, you know, I've, I've been, I mean, I wasn't able to revisit in time for the broadcast, but I've, you know, I, I'm still in, I will go through any filmmakers filmography, you know, out of pure curiosity, even if I ostensibly know that a lot of it's going to be disappointing to <clears throat> just look at you know, what they were doing and the trajectory and, you know, and search for the game within the game. So uh, yeah. I think this invigorating conversation about Downey is, you know, it's motivating me to, you know, rewatch all of his stuff and with, with a fresh lens. Well, I'll say to, to you and to any um, listeners, if you have the Criterion channel, you can watch, you can't watch pound, but pretty much all of the movies from that, that area, that, that era, sorry, 64 to 75, except for pound, uh, all, all of the full movies are all on the criterion channel. That's how I watched, watched everything. So, um, uh, definitely check that out. Um, other than that, uh, listeners, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at davypretension. You can also check out my other podcast that I do with my wife. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. And we talk about an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. This week, uh, um, the, uh, the, the ladies on Friends learned how to play poker because I guess girls don't know how to play poker uh i guess and um is that the one uh, where she makes crudite uh <laughs> yeah she makes like salmon roulettes or whatever for poker night and joey has a whole thing about how it's actually one of the funnier like jokes in the movie uh, movie the episode where he talks about uh snacks at at um at poker night have to be one syllable you know uh, chips beer pretz <laughs> <laughs> well, that was funny uh and then we watched the how many other episode where uh ted was a douchebag and you can hear us talk about how the difference between ross and ted is that how i met your mother knows ted is a tool <laughs> uh, find that at the one uh, on this episode of the one where i met your mother which you can find at battleshippretension.com uh you can follow tyler at tyler pretension tyler do you have any uh anything to plug yeah, over more than one lesson, uh, there is a new episode in which I talk about Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, uh, as well as with the companion film uh, Gosford Park. Mark, you already, Mark, Mark, you already mentioned the, pro the projector has been drinking and you mentioned Dance Door with the Dance. What else uh, would you like to plug in? Where can people find you? Well, uh, you can always find me on Twitter at uh, T-H-E underscore H-O-Y-K, the uh, phonetic pronunciation of my name. Um, I also periodically uh, write material for, for the uh, New Beverly's blog, which is uh, thenewbev.com slash blog. I've got a piece coming up for uh, them that I'm very excited about. Um, and I re recently appeared on the uh, Tier Ranker uh, Fights podcast where we sat and discussed and ranked uh, the best horror films of the 70s and we've got another episode coming up on october 26th where we're going to be taking the top 10 from uh, the 70s to uh, the 2010s and trying to 
suss out what are basically the best 10 films, 10 horror films of the last 50 years. It's a fool's errand, but we're going in there. <laughs> so that probably like, fantastic. like, uh, like Halloween four, I imagine it's probably <laughs> up there, right? Um, I don't even know which one Halloween four is. I don't um, remember either. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, thanks again, Mark, for being here. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 